You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. All right, well, good morning, Midtown family. It's great to worship with you this morning. Uh, Fun to see so many people enjoying each other's company during our, our, our coffee break. Uh, if I've not met you yet, I do see a couple new faces. My name is Justin. I serve as the associate pastor here at Midtown. And just want to say if you are visiting or first or second time here, really glad that you're here. One of our aims is to be a church that welcomes everybody, no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey. And so really glad that you're here with us this morning. There's also a lot of old faces that I know really well, and if you guys are remember way back to last fall, one of the things that we did in our sermon series, we started a sermon series on the Upper Room Discourse, which is found in John chapters 13 through 17. It's a long conversation that Jesus has with his disciples on the night that he was going to be betrayed. And so we, we jumped into that series, and we did it from like actually November to January, then we took a stop, a little pause, because we did our 28 days of prayer and fasting together. For spring break, we threw in a couple psalms of summer, and then we just finished our Meals with Jesus kind of Easter series. So now we're going to jump back into uh, the Upper Room Discourse, which is going to be really fun. Again, this long conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. I'm going to catch us up on a little bit of it, just since you probably forgot some of the stuff from November to January, right? So I'll catch us up a little bit and bring us to chapter 16, which we're going to hear from today. And so I invite you now actually to stand in honor of, honor of God's word, and Harrison's going to read our scripture for us. All right, John chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Harrison. All right, you guys can grab a seat. Like I said, since it has been a few months, I thought it'd be good to do a little bit of a catch-up just to kind of remind you where they've been in the conversation, because this really is one long conversation that Jesus has with his disciples on the night that he was going to be betrayed. And so I'll tell you just a bit, a little, catch you up a little bit on some of the events, some of the things that actually happened, and then talk a little bit too about kind of some of the teaching, because it's kind of a quite circular thing. Jesus is talking to them, and they kind of get sidetracked because the disciples ask questions, and he circles back and tries to get back to it. And so hopefully this will be a little refresher that will help us get ready for when we join the conversation here 
three chapters into the conversation. So this is one of the things that happened, some of the events that happened. This was the uh, upper room discourses where Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Maybe you've heard of that story where he washed the disciples' feet. And they're very confused. And at first, they're like, no, don't do that. You're, you're, I'm not, I don't want you to do that. And then they all get confused about that. Then there's actually the time when he, Jesus was with the disciples, and he actually says that one of you is going to betray me. So all the disciples are starting to ask questions like, who could it be? Is it me? Is it me? Who is it? And Peter says that he's never gonna deny Jesus, that he would die for Jesus. And, and Peter says, no, you're actually gonna deny me. That's kind of quite a bit of confusion among the disciples too, right? And then to make matters worse, one of the things that Jesus starts hinting at and speaking very directly about is that he's going to go away. And the disciples are like, well, where are you going? Like, how are, why are you gonna leave us? And they're just confused. And he says, well, I'm, I'm still gonna send a spirit to be with you, but they just don't get it. And then on top of that, he starts to introduce the idea that they're actually going to be persecuted they're going to be persecuted, and worst of all, be persecuted with Jesus not there with them because he's claiming that he's going to go away. All of that to say that the disciples in this whole conversation are filled with fear, sadness, anxiety, confusion. They just don't quite know exactly what is happening, which is why they ask so many darn questions throughout the whole time. They're asking question after question, which makes Jesus have to keep kind of circling back to what he was trying to get to. And so it might even be good that we kind of took a break because we're going to talk about some of the same things that were in the other parts of the, parts of the conversation but just keep circling back. And here are some of the major themes. Just, let me just list three of the major themes that he's doing throughout this. When he's talking to his disciples, one major theme is he's talking to them about the command to love one another. Even when, he, even when he washes the disciples' feet, he's saying, I've set this as an example so that you can love each other in the same way. He tells them this new commandment. I'm gonna give you a new commandment. This new commandment is that you love one another. It's new because this command is now you are to love one another as I have loved you raising the bar on what it means to love one another. Later saying that, that the one that loves their brother or sister would, would go to death for their brother or sister. He's commanding them to love one another, even by loving one another, all the world would know that they're his disciples if they love one another. Major theme throughout. Another major theme throughout is he's promising to give them peace even though they don't feel like they have it right now. He's promising that he's going to give them peace, that he will be with them and he's going to send a comforter, a spirit that will be with them. And he's telling them that this, this peace is available for you even though you're troubled. And so constantly he's reminding them that he's going to send someone to be with them. He's going to give them peace. They can have this peace in the presence and in in abiding in a spirit. And then finally, one of the major themes, the one that we'll actually focus on today, is he promises that he's gonna send his Holy Spirit. He's gonna send the spirit as a helper and the spirit's gonna help them in so many ways. It's gonna help them when they don't know what to say, when they get persecuted. It's gonna help them and it's gonna guide them into all truth. It's gonna help them in the sense that it will be a comforter for them. And again, he's gonna circle back to the spirit's role in the passage that we're gonna look at today. But throughout the entire conversation that night, he's saying, I'm going away, but I'm sending you a spirit. And I thought what would be really good to do is look at the exact conversation that took place right before chapter 16, verse one. So you can see kind of where they were at, where the disciples were thinking, maybe where their hearts were at when he goes to the teaching that we're gonna look at today. So let me just real briefly read the very end of John chapter 15. Again, some of these themes that you'll see. He says, if the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember that... Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, then they will also persecute you. If you kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know me or the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now there is no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. 
If I had done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word is written in the law and the prophets must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness to me. And you also will bear witness to me because you have been with me from the beginning. Now, really just wanna draw out two points. If you wanna go back, you can, we've got all the sermons kind of collected if you ever wanna listen to them all. This was the last one we left off that Jake taught on in John chapter 15 at the end of January. But two things to point out here. Again, he's promising persecution, that there's going to be opposition to them as they carry out the mission and vision of Jesus. I don't know if anyone's on Project Broadcast, but someone's at the door to uh, let someone in. Thanks, guys. That's why I bring my phone up here, just for that. Um, <laughs> He's promising that there's going to be this persecution, that the world is going to oppose them. But then he also, second thing he mentions here is he is going to promise his spirit. The spirit's gonna come and be a helper to help them. And specifically, look at what it says the spirit's going to do. The spirit is gonna come from the Father and it's going to bear witness to Jesus. That was what the spirit was aimed to do, to point to Jesus, to bear witness to Jesus. But get this next part, and you also will bear witness. So here he's talking to them about how difficult it is and how, how tough it's going to be and all this persecution that's going to happen. And he's saying, the Spirit's gonna come and help you bear witness and you're gonna bear witness. And particularly because you've been with me since the beginning. You guys are the guys that can tell all of the stories because you've been with me from the start. How do you think the disciples are feeling right now? A little nervous, right? <laughs> like they're supposed to bear witness and there's gonna be all this opposition. Like from the beginning, they're worried they're gonna to have to go be the witnesses to the rest of the world. And so that's where we see Jesus pick up on this conversation in the, in the passage that we're reading today. And his very first point is very similar to what he said at the end of 15, and that's that you will face opposition in this world. Look again at what it says in chapter 16 as the conversation continues. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because, you have not, because they have not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you that when, it, when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now that I'm going to him who sent me, none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I said these things, your sorrow, their sorrow has filled your heart. See, Jesus recognized what was going on when he's talking to them about this opposition that's going to come that they are supposed to go be his witnesses and they're gonna to have to be somehow his witnesses without him because he's going to the Father. He recognizes what's happening. We've been trying to say all along that this, the disciples are very confused and sad and anxious and even here, Jesus acknowledges, There's, I see that you are filled with sorrow. You don't understand what I'm doing yet because you're gonna have this, their fear, they're, they're, they're afraid. And they're not, not only are they gonna have rejection, they're gonna have to do this without Jesus by their side, the very one that they wanted to do this ministry and this vision with, the one that they thought was gonna be with them as they ushered in this kingdom is now going to go away. And he's trying to set them up too with expectations because he's talking to them about the future, letting them know like what's going to happen so that when it happens, you won't be surprised that it happened. In fact, that's what he says at the very first here. I'm telling you these things so to keep you from falling away. I don't want anything to catch you off guard. I want you to know what's gonna happen so that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. He's creating all the expectations for what's going to happen to them, and they find themselves at a very, very sorrowful, 
fearful place. Would you be? I would be. I was trying to think like, what would this be like? What would this really be like? And this is, forgive the, the crude illustration when comparing something to Jesus, but I thought about the 2005 Texas Longhorn football team. Now that year, they were, they were the most awesome team, and they were about to play in the Rose Bowl. That was the best game in all of college football history. You can't debate that. And in this game, the whole weeks leading up to it, everyone talked about how awesome USC was. Like, all the things were like, this is the best college football team ever. There's never been one better. They're the best. And just on and on and droning on and on and on. And I pictured, like, what if, like, in the pregame, Vince Young gets together with his teammates, and he says, you've heard all the news, man. This is a tough team. This is going to be some serious opposition that we're going to be facing. Y'all go get them. I'm going to sit this one out. <laughs> What'd you be like? Be like, no, we can't win without you, Vince. Like, you're, you're the only one that makes this thing happen. How are we going to win without you? I mean, that's cheesy, but in a sense, what these guys are feeling right now, really. Judas has already left them. Their 11 are still walking, making their way down to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus is having this conversation with them on the night he's going to be betrayed, and they're thinking, we can't win without you. Like, this doesn't make sense. What would you say? What would be your cry? Help, <laughs> right? I need help, we need help. Well, if that's what you were thinking, that's what they were thinking, that's what Jesus promises them. Next point here is we have the help of the Holy Spirit. The very next verse, he's told them all this stuff that was gonna happen and then look at the first word, nevertheless, even though you're gonna have all this opposition, even though I'm going away, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now you might think that that might be one of the more confusing things that Jesus has said, although he said a lot of confusing things this night. But it's to your advantage that I go away? Like, how is that possible? Like, how is it possible that we can actually fulfill this mission and bear witness to you in the world without you, better without you than with you here? It's because of the promise of the Holy Spirit. And it's at least true in a couple ways now that we can look back on it retroactively and see what Jesus probably meant by this. One would be that in Jesus' humanity, he was, he was limited. In his humanity, he could only be at one place at one time. And so in his humanity, he was limited. And if Jesus was to stay there with them, they could have a great ministry like they did in, in Galilee and, 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 and Jerusalem among the Jews and, and even reaching some Gentiles. But it would have been limited. But the second reason why is because the spirit that Jesus is promising, and you're gonna see this later in the text, is the very spirit and the words of Jesus. And so in a very real sense, like Jesus is going to multiply himself because you'll see he's gonna say the spirit speaks nothing except what I tell him. He takes what's mine and he delivers it to you. And so in that very real sense, now we've got the spirit of Christ, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit inside all of us that we can disseminate out and be multiple places at one time. And you get the benefit of these disciples having this conversation, but we get the benefit of reading the book of Acts and actually seeing it happen that way. That as these guys begin to disperse, the gospel goes from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And ironically, what actually gets it moving out beyond Jerusalem is when there starts to be persecution. So the very people that, that Jesus promised was going to happen to them, the very disciples that were gonna get kicked out of their synagogues and people were gonna think that they were gonna honor God by killing them and pursuing them, that was the thing that made them move outside of Jerusalem. And as they did, the Holy Spirit became to bear witness to Jesus in all these different towns and places. And it comes and finds us here in Austin, Texas, 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years later. Amazing. How did that happen? Because it was to our advantage that Jesus left to be with the Father. 
It was to our advantage that he would empower people with the power of the Spirit that could take the gospel to all nations and even to us today. So the question is then how? Like how does that happen? How did the gospel spread that way? How does God do that? And why was the Spirit so important? What did the Spirit do? What enabled this to happen? I'm glad you asked because that's what Jesus says is next. He tells us exactly two things that the Spirit is going to do. And the first is that the Spirit is going to come to convict the world. The Spirit comes to bring conviction to the world that they need a Savior. He says, and when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Sin, because they do not believe in Me. Concerning righteousness, because I be going to the Father and you'll see Me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. The first role of the Spirit is to bring people to faith in Jesus. There's not a person here who's put their faith in Jesus that didn't come to Jesus by way of the Spirit. It's a Spirit's role to bring conviction to help you realize that you needed a Savior that you would call out to Him as we sang, to call upon the name of Jesus, to believe in our hearts that He's risen from the dead. That's the Spirit's work. That's what He came to do. He came to convict us in regard to sin in regard to sin in the sense that he came to convict us and show us that we actually needed a savior, that we needed someone to pay the penalty for our sin, that we needed someone to save us, and that ultimately, the ultimate and only sin that's unforgivable is unbelief in Jesus. And so he awakened our eyes so where we could believe in Jesus and call upon his name. He also came in that way to convict us of righteousness, to help us see that there's only one, Jesus, as he says, that could go to the Father. There's only one that can stand right before God. And that way, none of our righteousness measures up to God. He convicted us that all the good works that we think that we've done, they don't measure up, that we need his righteousness to be placed on us. And the Spirit comes to convict us about judgment, that there is going to be a judgment day. And there's ultimately just two paths, whether we're following the ruler of this world that's already going to be judged or whether we're gonna follow the path of Christ that leads to eternal life in the home that he just told the disciples that he would prepare for them. That's how people come to faith. It's a work of the Spirit convicting you of all those things and bringing you to a point where you call out upon the name of Jesus and believe that God has risen him from the dead. Y'all have heard some of my story, but I'll share it again just because it's just great to share your testimony. But I was 14 years old when I first put, put my faith in Jesus. I was, uh, didn't get raised in a Christian home, was kind of pursuing some things of the world, even at that young age. Had one friend who had come to faith and started to kind of witness to me. He was more like the morality police, though, honestly, more than like really, you know, he was, he was trying to play Holy Spirit, which I'm gonna get to that later, but he was, he was trying to be the Holy Spirit. But still, God used it and got me curious. And then there was one guy just came and did like a chapel at my, at my high school for the football team before a game. And some reason afterward, I, saw, I checked a box that said I'd be interested in a Bible study. And somehow I got into that Bible study and I thought, well, at least I can get my friend off my back because I can keep pursuing the things I'm doing. And if he gets, starts you know, morality policing me, I can say, look, dude, I'm in a Bible study, man, leave me alone. <laughs> but as I started reading the Bible for the very first time and started reading these stories of Jesus, I started thinking, this is curious. Like, I, I really want to know what this is. And so for several months, was participating in this Bible study with other young high school students and got curious enough to the degree that I would go to Estes Park, Colorado for a week at a conference in the YMCA of the Rockies, God's country. And so at this conference, the first three days, I hated it. I was like, what have I done? This place is terrible. I want to go home. I hate, I hate all these people. I hate everything here. And then one day in one of the sessions, I still remember his name. If you're old, you might remember Dawson McAllister. Uh, kind of a famous radio guy and TV preacher and youth preacher, something happened. 
It was different. Three days in a row, nothing happened. Hated being there. That fourth day, my eyes just opened up. The scales were lifted, and I saw that I needed a Savior. I saw that I was convicted. I had, the Spirit had brought conviction of sin, that I needed a Savior. It brought conviction of righteousness, that all my good works or my thinking didn't measure up to God. It brought conviction of judgment, that I knew that I was going to be on the wrong path if I kept following the way that I was. I followed the way of the world rather than the eternal life that was being offered to me that night. And in that night, I put my faith in Christ, and, and nothing's, not, I mean, everything's changed since. Everything's changed since. But it's not just that day. Here we are, however many 30-something years later. That's what the Spirit continues to do in me, revealing to me more and more of the inexhaustible beauty of who Jesus is as our Savior and more and more of my sin and how much I need Him and how grateful I can be for what He's done for me. Everyone's testimony is like that. I'll give you a minute just to think about your own testimony. What about you? What was it? Can you, can you remember? You remember what God did? The Spirit spoke to you. I see some heads nodding. There was something where God, the Holy Spirit, brought that conviction and opened your eyes that you could see, yes, I need a Savior, and I'm going to call upon His name. I'm going to believe that He's risen from the dead and put my faith in Him. That's what the, that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit's role in the world as we bear witness is that His work to do the things that opens people's hearts to the fact that they need a Savior. And conviction's deeper than just kind of a, I think I need a little hope. <laughs> conviction, when, Jesus, when the Spirit opens you to Jesus like that, is a conviction that you, you know you need a Savior. That's what the Holy Spirit's to do. I've told you all before, um, I'm, like, I'm terrible, like, I'm not mechanically in inclined. I'm terrible, like screwing in light bulbs about the top of my capacity of stuff I can do around the house. Um, I think one thing that I could possibly do is like maybe put together a bed frame if it was like one of those metal ones where you just kind of click it. In fact, I, I had the chance to practice it because we, we uh, serve this refugee family and there was a group of us here from the church that bought them a bunch of supplies to, to fill up their apartment complex. And that was the one thing I thought I could do, that, that I thought I could contribute to. I got this bed frame. It probably took me 30 minutes and I had like four or five different tries before I could get it right. That's how bad I am. I knew that I could maybe do that. That's where I thought maybe I, I needed a little help maybe but I'll tell you a whole different story is when I got one person that bought the bed for the other children, which was an Ikea kind of bed. And when I opened that box and saw that, I said, conviction of the spirit. Like, I need help. Somebody help me. And so I called upon Matt Rodriguez and Jason Williford, two professional engineers. And they did the work of the spirit by putting that bed together. And it even took them like an hour and a half to do it probably, which would have taken me an entire lifetime. Silly illustration, I know, but that's what it means to have conviction. I could look at a little bed frame and be like, ah, I, I could probably do it. I look at an Ikea bed and I'm like, uh-uh, no way. I need help. Can you think of that in your life? You remember when that happened? I like the way it's described in Acts chapter two because you get to see what actually happened. So we're, we're reading in John 16 where Jesus is promising that this is going to happen. This is gonna be the work of the Spirit. And then we get the benefit of actually reading about how it happened and what it looked like when the Spirit came upon the disciples. In Acts chapter two, the Spirit falls upon the disciples and they start preaching. And look what it says in verse 37. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone from whom the Lord calls to himself. And with many other words, 
they what? They bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word and were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. You see what conviction is? It's described right there. Cut to the heart. Cut to the heart where they cried out, what, what, what do we need to do? Be baptized. Put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will be saved. And 3,000 responded to the gospel. Cut to the heart. That's what it looks like. And that was pretty wild now because the disciples got this promise. Now they're actually seeing it take place because they're doing it and they're saying, whoa, the spirit is working. This is how it's working. Jesus told us about this. And then as the church continues to grow and they see more and more of this, they begin to develop a theology around it to believe that, yes, it has to be the Holy Spirit. He's the only one who can change hearts. He's the only one who can bring that kind of conviction. So much so that later Paul would write this. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. Now, he didn't mean literally no one can say those words because we know the demons in the Gospels. We see the demons calling out to Jesus as Lord. They know who he is. But you know what Paul means there. He means no one can really say it and believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord, that God's risen him from the dead unless the Spirit does its work. And that's what he does. That's what his role is. In fact, they believed it so much that no one can be apart, saved apart from conviction of the Holy Spirit. That led them to believe and lean into what Jesus said next about the Holy Spirit when he was talking to the disciples that night. That's the second one, the second role of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes to speak through, or to and through the disciples. To and through the disciples. Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will speak he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever, he's, uh, whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, and he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All, this is Father, all that uh, the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Remember earlier I talked that the Spirit can say nothing except what's from Jesus? This is what he's saying. Like, this is why it's good for you that I go away, because guess what? You're going to have the Spirit, and the Spirit's just going to communicate everything that I tell him to you. And they needed this power, because in a very real sense, Jesus is still speaking. I love this, where he says, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them right now. Jesus is going to talk to them later through the Spirit at a time when they can bear it, in a time when they have understanding because the Spirit continues to speak to his disciples and then later through his disciples. And he can only speak what Jesus would speak. He can only take what's his and give it to us. And this is how the Spirit continues to function today to us. We need to receive to the, from the Spirit so that we can then be used through the Spirit. I'm gonna come back to us at the end of the sermon, but I want us to talk specifically about something that I think you need about this specific conversation. Because this first generation of disciples, now this is 11 men that are with Jesus because Jesus, Judas has already left. And I think very specifically to these guys, he sent the Spirit, he said, to remind them of what he's told them. That he's going to speak to them and remind them everything he said. Now, remember I told you to remember that phrase, go back from the beginning? Because he's got these 11 here that have been with him from the beginning He's saying, you guys especially are the ones that I'm gonna give you a measure of the Spirit that you can record everything that has happened. And you saw how this happened. Like, we're talking this night, they were actually very confused. They still needed more revelation. That's why Jesus said, I've got much more to tell you, but you really can't bear it right now. But I'm gonna, in time, explain this to you. 
And if you were here for Easter, we got a really cool glimpse at one of the greatest stories where Jesus was actually risen and walking with a few of the other disciples. And, and he, they don't really realize it's him, but they thought that they didn't understand what the purpose was. And it says he took them, he had a meal with them, and he took them all the way through the law and the prophets and explained everything along the way as to how the Messiah had to die and rise again. And so they're starting now, again, to hear from Jesus, this time the actual physical Jesus, but then even when Jesus goes away, he continues to fall upon the disciples in Pentecost. And at Pentecost, and through what they had heard as the Holy Spirit continued to speak to them, they began to understand exactly what had to happen. And their questions were answered, and they knew what they had to say, what they had to preach, what they had to tell, what they had to record, what they had to write down. Going back again to Peter's message in Acts chapter 2, remember what he said, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, by that time, they understood. They had connected all the dots, connected everything together to understand what Jesus came to do, and all of their confusion had since passed because the Spirit had continued to speak to them, taking Jesus' words and making it clear and giving them the understanding that they needed. And their primary message all along was that Jesus died, Jesus rose, put your faith in him for the forgiveness of sins was the message they continued to carry out, and they finally got it all. And not only that, they started to record it and write it, and they would write the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and give us accounts that now we know from those who were from the beginning all that Jesus said and did, and now we have those as our accounts. And you get a sense that the disciples actually, when they started writing these books, they could re reflect back. I can't say for sure that they reflect back on this conversation, but they, they knew that the Spirit was given to them. They were experiencing it, and now they believe that they were to record these things for us. Let me just give you a glimpse as to what Peter and John, two of the guys that were with them, what they thought when they talked about the scriptures and the letters that they wrote to churches. In 1 John, for instance, look what, what John writes. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, were eyewitnesses, which we've looked upon, our hands have actually touched, our hands have touched. This is what we testify to you concerning the life. This life was made manifest, and we have seen it. We testify to it and proclaimed to you eternal life, which is with the Father, is made manifest to us. That's what we've seen, that which we've heard, we also proclaim to you. Why? So that you may have fellowship with us. You see, what, you see what's going on there? Like John is saying, I was an eyewitness. I was a touch witness. I was there. And now I'm writing this so that you guys can believe. And this John that is the same John that actually wrote the study, the passage that we're studying today, that he wrote about this whole conversation that they had. And now he's experiencing the filling of the Holy Spirit, enabling him to pen words to others. Or Peter would write it this way when you talk about the Spirit's work. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice born to him by the majestic glory said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And we ourselves heard the voice born from heaven and we were there with him on the holy mountain, likely referring there to his baptism and Peter being one of the ones that was there during the transfiguration when Jesus was shown to them in a new way. Like he's saying, we, I've seen it, I was there, I heard it. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you would do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns, the morning star rises 
in your hearts. You'd, be, you'd do well to pay attention to what we, these eyewitnesses, have written, knowing that, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes about by one's own interpretation. For prophecy never was produced in the will of man, but men spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see? Now they're reflecting back on what Jesus had promised, and they're, they're seeing it. They've seen it with their own eyes. Now they're, they're doing it by writing these accounts and writing these as firsthand witnesses to us. And in this very way, I would say that Jesus fulfilled his promise to his disciples that day. He fulfilled a promise. He gave them their spirit and guided them into all truth that allowed them to remember everything that they had been taught from the beginning. And this is the primary way that the word of God speaks, to, the way that God speaks to us today. The primary way the spirit speaks today is through the written word of God. It's not the only way, but it's the primary way and it's the way that we should be guarded everything else that we receive from the spirit. But now we have this book as a written testament from firsthand witnesses carried along by the Holy Spirit that now we can receive from the Holy Spirit through this written word. Amazing. Now recognize that there's some of you probably who don't believe that. And from the start, just want to say you're absolutely welcome here. We're glad that you're here with us. And we'd love to have conversations about the validity of Scripture and why we as a church believe that it is the written word of God that people have been carried along by the Holy Spirit. And if you don't believe that, don't let that be a pause that would make you want to break connection with us as, as a friends and as family. But we'd love to have that conversation because we really do believe it. We really do believe that this is the word of God and it's the primary way that God speaks through his spirit. And so I wanna just ask you guys, like if this is what God did, then we have to cherish the word of God. Like we have to read it daily. We have to meditate on it. We have to memorize it. We should study it in small groups. We should talk about it. We should look at these as eyewitnesses accounts that are true and see how they affect our lives. And most importantly, we should listen to the conviction of the Holy Spirit when we read his word and the Spirit speaks through the written word that these disciples have left for us. The irony was not lost on me this week. I had a hard time putting together this message. But what's funny is you're like trying to teach a message on asking the Spirit, how the Spirit speaks to you and through you. And that was like my only prayer repetitively, like, God, please help. I'm struggling. Like, please speak to me and through me. And wait, wait, the same passage I'm seeking. So I got caught up in the little circular, <laughs> circular reasoning there too. But I want you to know that, that that's the posture of what we do and what our pastors do. We're seeking the word of God and trying to, trying to discern it and to, and, to, and to teach it carefully. But all the while, we know it's just the Spirit's work. Like, we do nothing without the Spirit. So we have to receive from the Spirit to give through the Spirit. And in addition to that, the Spirit's got to be doing the work in your lives. It's all dependent on the Spirit, both sides of the process, which is what Jesus told his disciples that day, that I'm sending the Spirit. And one thing it's going to do, it's going to convict the world out there. But the other thing, it's going to speak to you in here so that you can hear from me that you can then be ministered and I can minister through you. But this is not just for pastors. This is for everyone who's put their faith in Jesus. All of you who've put your faith in Jesus have been indwelt with the Holy Spirit and you now have the word of God that can now teach you and that can now you can be used to, to, for God to use you in other people's lives. Scattered throughout you know, we talk sometimes in here about how this is the church gathered, but the rest of the week, we're the church scattered. And wherever God has you, he wants you to bear witness to Jesus. 
And you can't do that unless you're spending time with him and letting him speak to you so that he can speak through you. When he speaks to you and speaks through you, then you're gonna have the opportunity to tell other people and bear witness to what Jesus has done in your life. And as you do, God's spirit might be working and bringing that conviction in someone else's life. It's all dependent upon him, but it's also dependent upon us to seek him so that we can hear from him and we can hear what he wants to say through us, all the while praying that he would use us through the power of the spirit in other people's lives. I wanted to close by taking us to a different scripture that's the one that I find to be kind of the most helpful in application of how does it really work to, to minister and let the Spirit of God use us, but knowing fully well that we're just reliant upon the Spirit to be speaking to other people. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let me just read the passage and then make a couple kind of application points for us today. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We renounce disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by an open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we put what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let there be light, or let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Let me just mention four things that I find helpful when I think about trying to minister. First is to do not, do not lose heart. As you bear your witness, as you try to bear witness to Jesus, don't lose heart. You may face opposition. We might not face the opposition that Jesus promised those disciples would face, but we will likely face some opposition. In our culture, maybe it's actually more likely that you're just gonna face apathy. But keep bearing witness. Don't lose heart because you never know how God is using you. You never know how God's using you as you proclaim Jesus. I don't have time to go into the context of this letter that he's writing the Corinthians here, but this letter that he's writing this Corinthians, that Paul was facing a lot of opposition. There's kind of some faction groups that were coming against him as Paul's writing this letter to people who are starting to get turned away from Paul. So he's got a lot of opposition. But even so, he would say of himself, like, even though we have this, this ministry, it's a mercy that we have it, and so we're not gonna lose heart. Like, I can't not help but proclaim the good news of Jesus to you guys. I'm not going to lose heart. I remember when the guy that actually led me to Christ, I told you about that story, he later discipled me for three years in high school. And when he started teaching me about how God was calling me then to bear witness to my football team, to go back into my team and bear witness, one of the things that I liked that I always remembered they told me was, what, what's the definition of successful uh, witnessing? It's taking the initiative by the power of the Holy Spirit uh, to present the gospel and leaving the results to God. It's taking the initiative, you gotta do it, but you do it by the power of the Holy Spirit, you share the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit, but you leave the results to God. The results are always God's. We just take initiative and share the gospel and trust the Holy Spirit to do its work. I had a funny story happen um, a few weeks ago. I don't know, necessarily know what God's gonna do with it, but it's a pretty, pretty funny story. I was walking my dog on the street next to mine and a, a young, young guy comes up to me. He's like, hey, hey, I used to be your neighbor. I was like, I don't remember you, but okay, I'll bet you, I'll bet you were. You probably remember my dog more than you remember me. Um, but he said, uh, he said, oh, I just wanna say hi. Well, hi, you know, good to meet you. His name's Ethan. So, hey, Ethan, good to meet you. 
Well, a few days later, he comes and he delivers a note. Um, to, uh, was going to just leave it on the door, but Brenda was home, so he drops off this note that just says, hey, man, uh, you were always kind of cool back when you used to live across. This was seven years ago, too, so 2016 is when he lived across the street from me. And um, said, you were always pretty cool, and um, I'd like to just get together with you some, sometime and hang out. So I'm like, oh, that's kind of strange, but okay, <laughs> whatever, I don't, I don't remember you. Um, so I took him to a UT baseball game a couple weeks ago, and for three hours, we just had this in-depth spiritual conversation, just wonderful conversation, just a guy that's just very open. I'm not going to tell his whole story to you, but one of the things that stuck out to me is he's, I said, well, what made you remember me? He said, these are his words, he said, we were, we were kind of college punks, and you always looked me in the eye and treated me like a human being. It's like, oh, wow, I don't remember doing that, but I guess I did. <laughs> so don't lose heart. You, you really never know what God's doing um, as he continues to use you. Second thing, though, from this passage is very important, is do not manipulate. Do not manipulate. As you bear witness, don't manipulate people. Everyone that we bear witnesses to is a created in the image of God and worthy of dignity and respect in making their own decision. And what Paul was facing here, and particularly in the church of Corinth, the conflict that he was having, there were these, they called themselves the super apostles. And so the super apostles are coming in and trying to take authority and trying to win people over, but they're doing it by just manipulative ways. And that's why Paul, when he's writing about his ministry, he says here, you know, we, we refuse to do uh, tamper. We don't practice cunning. We renounce disgraceful and underhanded ways. Like, we are not going to manipulate people. We're just going to share the gospel faithfully, and people can make their own decisions. And no matter where they are, they're our friends. They're worthy of respect. They're worthy of dignity. And we're going to love them no matter what. You can't manipulate people. And sadly, many Christians have given the church a bad name because that's the way that they've chosen to proclaim Christ. And that's not what we are called to do. If you were to read John and Peter, two of those disciples that were with Jesus that day, they have much to say in several of their other books about how to do so with gentleness and respect. And so we refuse not to manipulate. We will not manipulate people. Third thing I would advocate is pray. As you bear witness to Jesus, pray first and foremost. The reason why is because the battle's spiritual. Like if it's really just a work of the Holy Spirit that's got to do things in someone's life, the most important thing you can do is pray. Like you can't do anything. It's a spiritual battle. You have to cry out to God to be the one that does it. This passage, he says that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Some just have a veil over their face. And like I was at 14 years old, those first three days of that conference, veil over my face. I just couldn't see. And whatever broke on day four happened. And so we need to pray because it's God who's gonna do the work in people's lives. We can't make things happen. And finally, how do they proclaim Jesus and Jesus only? As you bear witness, proclaim him only. It's way too easy and way too common for us to get to little side conversations where we're talking politics or we're talking morality or any other such member. But look what Paul said here. He said, no, but we do not teach ourselves. We preach Jesus. Like he's the one that we're gonna talk about. He's the one we're bringing attention to. And what it was the Holy Spirit said he was gonna do? Testify to Jesus. Not morality, not politics. He was gonna testify about Jesus. And so we too need to keep the conversation and our hopes focused on Jesus, who is our savior. We can do no better than to pray and simply proclaim Jesus. That's the one that the Spirit wants to glorify. It's the one that we should want to glorify and talk about. Again, if you didn't write those down, it's don't lose heart, don't manipulate, pray, and then proclaim Jesus. May the Holy Spirit be at work in our lives, speaking to us and through us. 
and bringing conviction to us and to our beloved friends and family that Jesus is our beautiful Savior and that we do need him. We need a Savior. I'm going to close by having us spend just a few minutes in prayer, and particularly three kinds of prayer. And so if you just bow your heads with me, and then we'll take communion together. First, I just want to speak to any of you who've yet to put your faith in Jesus. Maybe the Spirit's actually working right now to convict you that you do need a Savior, and you do want to call out to Him as Lord. I want to give you a moment just to, to pray that, to call upon Him as Savior. Next, I'd like to speak to those of you who are burdened with friends or family who've maybe yet to believe in Jesus as their Savior. And I want to give you a moment just to pause and, and pray for someone that you would like to follow Jesus with you. Now, for all of you here who do call Jesus your Savior, you can point to a time in your life when you saw, when your eyes were open and you put your faith in Jesus. Just give a moment to give thanks and praise God for what he's done. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven.